Chapter fifty seven, part one of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six, by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty seven. Louis the sixteenth. France abroad. United States War of Independence, seventeen seventy five to seventeen eighty three. Part one. Quote, two things great and difficult as they may be are a man's duty and may establish his fame to support misfortune and be sturdily resigned to it to believe in the good and trust in it perseveringly m guizot washington Quote, there is a sight as fine and not less salutary than that of a virtuous man at grips with adversity it is the sight of a virtuous man at the head of a good cause and securing its triumph if ever cause were just and had a right to success it was that of the english colonies which rose in insurrection to become the united states of america opposition in their case preceded insurrection their opposition was founded on historic right and on facts on rational right and on ideas it is to the honour of england that she had deposited in the cradle of her colonies the germ of their liberty almost all at their foundation received charters which conferred upon the colonists the franchises of the mother country at the same time with legal rights the colonists had creeds it was not only as englishmen but as christians that they wanted to be free and they had their faith even more at heart than their charters their rights would not have disappeared even had they lacked their charters by the mere impulse of their souls with the assistance of divine grace they would have derived them from a sublimer source and one inaccessible to human power for they cherished feelings that soared beyond even the institutions of which they showed themselves to be so jealous such in the english colonies was the happy condition of man and of society when england by an arrogant piece of aggression attempted to dispose without their consent of their fortunes and their destiny the uneasiness in the relations between the mother country and the colonies was of old date and the danger which england ran of seeing her great settlements beyond the sea separating from her had for some time past struck the more clear-sighted colonies are like fruits which remain on the tree only until they are ripe said m turgot in seventeen fifty when they have become self-sufficing they do as carthage did as america will one day do it was in the war between england and france for the possession of canada that the americans made the first trial of their strength alliance was concluded between the different colonies Virginia marched in tune with Massachusetts. The pride of a new power, young and already victorious, animated the troops which marched to the conquest of Canada. Quote, if we manage to remove from Canada these turbulent Gauls, exclaimed John Adams, our territory in a century will be more populous than England herself. Then all Europe will be powerless to subjugate us. Quote, i am astounded said the duke of choiseul to the english negotiator who arrived at paris in seventeen sixty one 
i am astounded that your great pitt should attach so much importance to the acquisition of canada a territory too scantily peopled to ever become dangerous for you and one which in our hands would serve to keep your colonies in a state of dependence from which they will not fail to free themselves the moment canada is ceded to you a pamphlet attributed to burke proposed to leave canada to france with the avowed aim of maintaining on the border of the american provinces an object of anxiety and an ever-threatening enemy america protested its loyalty and rejected with indignation all idea of separation Quote, it is said that the development of the strength of the colonies may render them more dangerous and bring them to declare their independence wrote franklin in seventeen sixty such fears are chimerical so many causes are against their union that i do not hesitate to declare it not only improbable but impossible i say impossible without the most provoking tyranny and oppression as long as the government is mild and just as long as there is security for civil and religious interests the americans will be respectful and submissive subjects the waves only rise when the wind blows in england many distinguished minds doubted whether the government of the mother country would manage to preserve the discretion and moderation claimed by franklin Quote, notwithstanding all you say of your loyalty you americans observed lord camden to franklin himself i know that some day you will shake off the ties which unite you to us and you will raise the standard of independence Quote, no such idea exists or will enter into the heads of the americans answered franklin unless you maltreat them quite scandalously Quote, that is true rejoined the other and it is exactly one of the causes which i foresee and which will bring on the event the seven years war was ended shamefully and sadly for france m de choiseul who had concluded peace with regret and a bitter pang was ardently pursuing every means of taking his revenge to foment disturbances between england and her colonies appeared to him an efficacious and a natural way of gratifying his feelings Quote, there is great difficulty in governing states in the days in which we live he wrote to m durand at that time french minister in london still greater difficulty in governing those of america and the difficulty approaches impossibility as regards those of asia i am very much astonished that england which is but a very small spot in europe should hold dominion over more than a third of america and that her dominion should have no other object but that of trade as long as the vast american possessions contribute no subsidies for the support of the mother country private persons in england will still grow rich for some time on the trade with america but the state will be undone for want of means to keep together a too extended power if on the contrary england proposes to establish imposts in her american domains when they are more extensive and perhaps more populous than the mother country when they have fishing woods navigation corn iron they will easily part asunder from her without any fear of chastisement for england could not undertake a war against them to chastise them he encouraged his agents to keep him informed as to the state of feeling in america welcoming and studying all projects even the most fantastic 
that might be hostile to England. When M. de Choiseul was thus writing to M. Durand, the English government had already justified the fears of its wisest and most sagacious friends. On the 7th of March, 1765, after a short and unimportant debate, Parliament, on the motion of Mr. George Grenville, then First Lord of the Treasury, had extended to the American colonies the stamp tax everywhere in force in England. The proposal had been brought forward in the preceding year, but the protests of the colonists had for some time retarded its discussion. Quote, the Americans are an ungrateful people, said Townshend. They are children settled in life by our care and nurtured by our indulgence. End quote. Pitt was absent. Colonel Barr rose. Quote, settled by your care he exclaimed nay it was your oppression which drove them to america to escape from your tyranny they exposed themselves in the desert to all the ills that human nature can endure nurtured by your indulgence nay they have grown by reason of your indifference and do not forget that these people loyal as they are are as jealous as they were at the first of their liberties and remain animated by the same spirit that caused the exile of their ancestors. This was the only protest. Quote, Nobody voted on the other side in the House of Lords, said George Granville at a later period. In America the effect was terrible and the dismay profound. The Virginia House was in session. Nobody dared to speak against a measure which struck at all the privileges of the colonies and went to the hearts of the loyal gentlemen still passionately attached to the mother country. A young barrister, Patrick Henry, hardly known hitherto, rose at last, and in an unsteady voice said, quote, I propose to the vote of the assembly the following resolutions. Only the general assembly of this colony has the right and power to impose taxes on the inhabitants of this colony. Every attempt to invest with this power any person or body whatever other than the said general assembly has a manifest tendency to destroy at one and the same time british and american liberties then becoming more and more animated and rising to eloquence by sheer force of passion quote, tarquin and caesar he exclaimed had each their brutus charles i had his cromwell and george the third treason treason was shouted on all sides will doubtless profit by their example continued patrick henry proudly without allowing himself to be moved by the wrath of the government's friends his resolutions were voted by twenty to nineteen the excitement in america was communicated to england it served the political purposes and passions of mr pitt he boldly proposed in the House of Commons the repeal of the stamp tax. Quote, the colonists, he said, are subjects of this realm, having, like yourselves, a title to the special privileges of Englishmen. They are bound by the English laws, and in the same measure as yourselves have a right to the liberties of this country. The Americans are the sons and not the bastards of England when in this house we grant subsidies to his majesty we dispose of that which is our own but the americans are not represented here when we impose a tax upon them what is it we do we the commons of england give what to his majesty our own personal property 
no we give away the property of the commons of america there is absurdity in the very terms the bill was repealed and agitation was calmed for a while in america but ere long mr pitt resumed office under the title of lord chatham and with office he adopted other views as to the taxes to be imposed in vain he sought to disguise them under the form of custom-house duties the taxes on tea glass paper excited in america the same indignation as the stamp tax resistance was everywhere organized Quote, between seventeen sixty seven and seventeen seventy one patriotic leagues were everywhere formed against the consumption of english merchandise and the exportation of american produce all exchange ceased between the mother country and the colonies to extinguish the source of england's riches in america and to force her to open her eyes to her madness the colonists shrank from no privation and no sacrifice luxury had vanished rich and poor welcomed ruin rather than give up their political rights m cornelis de witt histoire de washington quote, i expect nothing more from petitions to the king said washington already one of the most steadfast champions of american liberties and i would oppose them if they were calculated to suspend the execution of the pact of non-importation as sure as i live there is no relief to be expected for us but from the straits of great britain i believe or at least i hope that there is enough public virtue still remaining among us to make us deny ourselves everything but the bare necessaries of life in order to obtain justice this we have a right to do and no power on earth can force us to a change of conduct short of being reduced to the most abject slavery he added in a spirit of strict justice quote, as to the pact of non-exportation that is another thing i confess that i have doubts of its being legitimate we owe considerable sums to great britain we can only pay them with our produce to have a right to accuse others of injustice we must be just ourselves and how can we be so if we refuse to pay our debts to great britain that is what i cannot make out the opposition was as yet within the law and the national effort was as orderly as it was impassioned quote, there is agitation there are meetings there is mutual encouragement to the struggle the provinces concert opposition together the wrath against great britain grows and the abyss begins to yawn but such are the habits of order among this people that in the midst of this immense ferment among the nation it is scarcely possible to pick out even a few acts of violence here and there up to the day when the uprising becomes general the government of george the third can scarcely find even in the great centres of opposition such as boston any specious pretexts for its own violence m cornelis de witt histoire de washington the declaration of independence was by this time becoming inevitable when washington and jefferson were still writing in this strain washington to captain mackenzie you are taught to believe that the people of massachusetts are a people of rebels in revolt for independence and what not permit me to tell you my good friend that you are mistaken grossly mistaken 
i can testify as a fact that independence is neither the wish nor the interest of this colony or of any other on the continent separately or collectively but at the same time you may rely upon it that none of them will ever submit to the loss of those privileges of those precious rights which are essential to the happiness of every free state and without which liberty property life itself are devoid of any security jefferson to mr randolph quote, believe me my dear sir there is not in the whole british empire a man who cherishes more cordially than i do the union with great britain but by the god who made me i would cease to live rather than accept that union on the terms proposed by parliament we lack neither motives nor power to declare and maintain our separation it is the will alone that we lack and that is growing little by little under the hand of our king it was indeed growing lord chatham had been but a short time in office lord north on becoming prime minister zealously promoted the desires of george the third in parliament and throughout the country the opposition headed by lord chatham protested in the name of the eternal principles of justice and liberty against the measures adopted towards the colonies Quote, liberty said lord chatham is pledged to liberty they are indissolubly allied in this great cause it is the alliance between god and nature immutable eternal as the light in the firmament of heaven have a care foreign war is suspended over your heads by a thin and fragile thread spain and france are watching over your conduct waiting for the fruit of your blunders they keep their eyes fixed on america and are more concerned with the dispositions of your colonies than with their own affairs whatever they may be i repeat to you my lords if ministers persist in their fatal counsels i do not say that they may alienate the affections of its subjects but i affirm that they will destroy the greatness of the crown i do not say that the king will be betrayed i affirm that the country will be ruined franklin was present at this scene sent to england by his fellow-countrymen to support their petitions by his persuasive and dexterous eloquence he watched with intelligent interest the disposition of the continent towards his country Quote, all europe seems to be on our side he wrote but europe has its own reasons it considers itself threatened by the power of england and it would like to see her divided against herself our prudence will retard for a long time yet i hope the satisfaction which our enemies expect from our dissensions prudence patience discretion when the catastrophe arrives it must be clear to all mankind that fault is not on our side the catastrophe was becoming imminent already a riot at boston had led to throwing into the sea a cargo of tea which had arrived on board two english vessels and which the governor had refused to send away at once as the populace desired already on the summons of the virginia convention a general congress of all the provinces had met at philadelphia at the head of the legal resistance as well as of the later rebellion in arms marched the puritans of new england and the sons of the cavaliers settled in virginia the opposition tumultuous and popular in the north 
parliamentary and political in the south was everywhere animated by the same spirit and the same zeal Quote, i do not pretend to indicate precisely what line must be drawn between great britain and the colonies wrote washington to one of his friends but it is most decidedly my opinion that one must be drawn and our rights definitively secured he had but lately said quote, nobody ought to hesitate a moment to employ arms in defence of interests so precious so sacred but arms ought to be our last resource the day had come when this was the only resource henceforth remaining to the americans stubborn and irritated george the third and his government heaped vexatious measures one upon another feeling sure of crushing down the resistance of the colonists by the ruin of their commerce as well as of their liberties quote, we must fight exclaimed patrick henry at the virginia convention i repeat it we must fight an appeal to arms and to the god of hosts that is all we have left armed resistance was already being organized in the teeth of many obstacles and notwithstanding active or tacit opposition on the part of a considerable portion of the people it was time to act on the eighteenth of april seventeen seventy five at night a picked body of the english garrison of boston left the town by order of general gage governor of massachusetts the soldiers were as yet in ignorance of their destination but the american patriots had divined it the governor had ordered the gates to be closed some of the inhabitants however having found means of escaping had spread the alarm in the country already men were repairing in silence to posts assigned in anticipation when the king's troops on approaching lexington expected to lay hands upon two of the principal movers samuel adams and john hancock they came into collision in the night with a corps of militia blocking the way the americans taking no notice of the order given them to retire the english troops at the instigation of their officers fired a few men fell war was begun between england and america that very evening colonel smith whilst proceeding to seize the ammunition depot at concord found himself successively attacked by detachments hastily formed in all the villages he fell back in disorder beneath the guns of boston some days later the town was besieged by an american army and the congress meeting at philadelphia appointed washington quote, to be general-in-chief of all the forces of the united colonies of all that had been or should be levied and of all others that should voluntarily offer their services or join the said army to defend american liberty and to repulse every attack directed against it george washington was born on the twenty second of february seventeen thirty two on the banks of the potomac at bridges creek in the county of westmoreland in virginia he belonged to a family of consideration among the planters of virginia descended from that race of country gentlemen who had but lately effected the revolution in england he lost his father early and was brought up by a distinguished firm and judicious mother for whom he always preserved equal affection and respect intended for the life of a surveyor of the still uncleared lands of western america he had led from his youth up a life of freedom and hardship at nineteen during the canadian war 
he had taken his place in the militia of his country, and we have seen how he fought with credit at the side of General Braddock. On returning home at the end of the war, and settling at Mount Vernon, which had been bequeathed to him by his eldest brother, he had become a great agriculturist and great hunter, esteemed by all, loved by those who knew him, actively engaged in his own business as well as that of his colony, and already an object of confidence as well as hope to his fellow-citizens. In 1774, on the eve of the great struggle, Patrick Henry, on leaving the first Congress formed to prepare for it, replied to those who asked which was the foremost man in the Congress, quote, If you speak of eloquence, Mr. Rutledge of South Carolina is the greatest orator. But if you speak of solid knowledge of things and of sound judgment, Colonel Washington is indisputably the greatest man in the assembly. Quote. Quote, Capable of rising to the highest destinies, he could have ignored himself without a struggle, and found in the culture of his lands satisfaction for those powerful faculties which were to suffice for the command of armies and for the foundation of a government. But when the occasion offered, when the need came, without any effort on his own part, without surprise on the part of others, the sagacious planter turned out a great man. He had in a superior degree the two qualities which in active life render men capable of great things. He could believe firmly in his own ideas, and act resolutely upon them, without fearing to take the responsibility." M. Guizot, Washington he was, however, deeply moved and troubled at the commencement of a contest of which he foresaw the difficulties and the trials, without fathoming their full extent, and it was not without a struggle that he accepted the power confided to him by Congress. Quote, Believe me, my dear Patsy, he wrote to his wife, I have done all I could to screen myself from this high mark of honor, not only because it cost me much to separate myself from you and from my family, but also because I felt that this task was beyond my strength. When the new general arrived before Boston to take command of the confused and undisciplined masses which were hurrying up to the American camp, he heard that an engagement had taken place on the 16th of June on the heights of Bunker's Hill, which commanded the town. The Americans who had seized the positions had defended them so bravely that the English had lost nearly a thousand men before they carried the batteries. A few months later, after unheard-of efforts on the general's part to constitute and train his army, he had taken possession of all of the environs of the place, and General Howe, who had superseded General Gage, evacuated Boston, March 17, 1776. Every step was leading to the Declaration of Independence. Quote, if everybody were of my opinion, wrote Washington in the month of February 1776, the English ministers would learn in few words what we want to arrive at. I should set forth simply, and without paraphrases, our grievances and our resolution to have justice. I should tell them that we have long and ardently desired an honorable reconciliation, and that it has been refused. I should add that we have conducted ourselves as faithful subjects, that the feeling of liberty is too strong in our hearts to let us ever submit to slavery, and that we are quite determined to burst every bond with an unjust and unnatural government, if our enslavement alone will satisfy a tyrant and his diabolical ministry. 
and I should tell them all this not in covert terms, but in language as plain as the light of the sun at full noon. Many people still hesitated, from timidity, from foreseeing the sufferings which war would inevitably entail on America, from hereditary, faithful attachment to the mother country. Quote, Gentlemen, had but lately been observed by Mr. Dickinson, deputy from Pennsylvania, at the reading of the scheme of a solemn declaration justifying the taking up of arms, there is but one word in this paper of which I disapprove. Congress. Quote, and as for me, Mr. President, said Mr. Harrison, rising, there is but one word in this paper of which I approve. Congress. End quote. Deeds had become bolder than words. Quote, we have hitherto made war by halves, wrote John Adams to General Gates. You will see in tomorrow's papers that for the future we shall probably venture to make it by three quarters. The Continental Navy, the provincial navies, have been authorized to cruise against English property throughout the whole extent of the ocean. Learn for your governance that this is not independence. Far from it. If one of the next couriers should bring you word of unlimited freedom of commerce with all nations, take good care not to call that independence. Nothing of the sort. Independence is a spectre of such awful mien that the mere sight of it might make a delicate person faint. Independence was not yet declared, and already, at the end of their proclamations, instead of the time-honored formula, God save the king, the Virginians had adopted the proudly significant phrase, God save the liberties of America. The great day came, however, when the Congress resolved to give its true name to the war which the colonies had been for more than a year maintaining against the mother country. After a discussion which lasted three days, the scheme drawn up by Jefferson for the Declaration of Independence was adopted by a large majority. The solemn proclamation of it was determined upon the 4th of July, and that day has remained the national festival of the United States of America. John Adams made no mistake when, in the transport of his patriotic joy, he wrote to his wife, quote, I am inclined to believe that this day will be celebrated by generations to come as the great anniversary of the nation. It should be kept as the day of deliverance by solemn thanksgivings to the Almighty. It should be kept with pomp to the sound of cannon and of bells, with games, with bonfires and illuminations from one end of the continent to the other, for ever. You will think me carried away by my enthusiasm, but no, I take into account perfectly the pains, the blood, the treasure we shall have to expend to maintain this declaration, to uphold and defend these states. But through all these shadows I perceive rays of ravishing light and joy. I feel that the end is worth all the means, and far more, and that posterity will rejoice over this event with songs of triumph, even though we should have cause to repent of it, which will not be, I trust in God. The Declaration of American Independence was solemn and grave. It began with an appeal to those natural rights which the eighteenth century had everywhere learned to claim. Quote, we hold as self-evident all these truths, said the Congress of the United Colonies. All men are created equal. 
they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights among those rights are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness governments are established amongst men to guarantee those rights and their just power emanates from the consent of the governed End of chapter fifty seven part one